Welcome to Catechesis, also known as Cats and Jesus. Catechesis is Greek for teaching, and that's what our hosts, Reverend James Goodlett and Reverend Adam Roberts, will do with this podcast, Teach. Each week, they will study, discuss, and dissect the week's scripture and spoken word. Catechesis is a digital outreach of First Presbyterian Church of LaGrange. Welcome your hosts, James and Adam. We're back, y'all. Catechesis, the full house, is in studio. My name is James Goodlett, one of the pastors here. Adam Roberts is with us today. Adam, how did move-in go last week? Oh, man. It was steamy. That's the first thing that comes to mind. It was well hydrated. <laughs> Moving college students yes. at LaGrange College over here into Yo. their domiciles. Mm. Time-tested tradition. I mean, I can think of a wonderful alum uh, couple uh, that I know here in town, and she told me how in 1965 he was there to meet her specifically, had met her at a summer orientation session, came back to Hawks to help move in the freshmen, but made sure to move her in and meet her parents and all of that. And then they were married 50 years. So pretty cool, pretty cool. And uh, freshman women moved in Hawks again this year. It's full. So Hawks would be? Hawks is the uh, freshman women's dorm on the old quadrangle. If you know the campus at all, that's the top tip top of the hill up by Callaway Academic and Smith Hall. It forms one side of the quadrangle up there. And there is a room up there on the end of the top floor that looks out and looks right into downtown LaGrange. And they say that is just one of the best views of downtown uh, in all of LaGrange. So there you go. Well, welcome back, LaGrange College Panthers. It's good to have you. <laughs> we got a full house over there. The, uh, pretty much every room on campus is taken up, and uh, we are building enrollment back post-COVID, and the energy is fantastic. It really is. Glad to have you here on Catechesis. If you'd like to hear other podcasts of ours, as always, i got to give a little bit of a plug to Lewis and Broad. LewisandBroad.org, including our flagship production. The Lewis and Broad podcast. Season four of Lewis and Broad is on the horizon. I can see it. I can see the sails off in the distance making their way towards shore. Pretty sure we're going to have something for you here in the next couple of weeks in terms of an announcement and some episodes later on this fall. And none of that happens. None of the Lewis and Broad stuff, podcasts, social media, website, None of it happens without our producer, par excellence, Leighton Parker. Leighton, time to come to Mike. Last time. Come on, auntie. Last (laughs) time she was on Mike, this was last week, Adam. I was the only one. Yes, you were flying that plane solo. I I was, as you were sweating bullets in the LaGrange, Georgia sunshine. Yes, it was crazy. I asked Leighton how she was doing because she was coming off a little case of the COVID. Oh, no. And all we got. Stay out of those coves. I think all we got was a sniff from her last week. So maybe we'll get more than a sniff. How are you doing today, Leighton? Good. Uh, She clears her throat (laughs) often to the 
corners of Lewis and Broad City. I so and I want to say this, taking up Leighton almost said something and I cut her off. Man, it's like when a butterfly lands and then you accidentally make it fly away. I messed it up. So, but so I told Leighton earlier she looks like uh, an ant of mine, not an insect, um, uh, a female, an auntie relative. A-N-T. Yes, an auntie, auntie, uh, who I remember well from my early childhood. And so, in other words, that was me telling Leighton that she looks 70 because that's what my aunt is now. So no, kind. it is the recollection of my aunt. They look the same. So, I shall henceforth call Leighton Aunt Rhonda. Aunt Rhonda. Hey, Aunt Rhonda. How are you feeling about this new nickname of yours? <laughs> you that's fine. You have to say things again. We got a fantastic yeah, shrug from her, but... We we're, we're not... <laughs> This is not being recorded on video. Like, people can't see <laughs> your uh, awkward shrugs. So, well, there was an awkward shrug. Everyone can imagine, imagine it. There was. Speaking she of, she said it's fine. So, I'm taking that as full go ahead with, well, there you with go. Aunt Rhonda. Speaking of awkward shrug, which sounds like <laughs> a fantastic b- band name. Is this a segue? It is a segue into. The scripture for the day, which I... That was, that was impressive. I am going to call the parable of the socially awkward. <laughs> the parable of... Uh, it makes me think of the Saturday Night Live uh, Debbie Downer character. Do you remember? Oh, man. She, had wah, wah. Wah, wah. she would say, like... Something really. Somebody says, oh, I have this new cat, Cats and Cheeses. I have this new cat. And she'd say, oh, did you know feline leukemia is the number one killer of cats in America? Yeah, it's kind of like that. (laughs) I got James LOLing so hard he couldn't come back for a second. Yeah, I I had to to go back to my Debbie Downer days. That that was, if you have not watched SNL's (laughs) Debbie Downer. Get on the YouTubes. She is, she is somewhat. As we say in the South, bless her heart. Yes. Socially awkward. Very bless her heart. Uh, we talked pre-production. We talked about Zach Galifianakis <laughs> between two ferns. <laughs> if you have not watched that either, uh, it's basically this guy. He is a celebrity interviewing other celebrities, but he tries to be as awkward as possible. <laughs> and succeeds. And so what we have here today, he does succeed. What we have here today is a parable where Jesus gets slightly awkward. It's, I mean, just just a little bit. I, I, I think we need to take a look at what's happening here. Yeah, it's for a reason, scripture. of course, right? It's going to teach. That's yeah. right. But yeah, There is a method to his m- madness, I guess, or whatever you want to call it, his brilliance, mm-hmm. saviorness. It starts off in Luke 14. We're looking at Luke 14, starting off with verse 1. And then the lectionarians, Mm. those Mm. ecumenical, powerful lizard people. Lizard people. (laughs) We don't know who they are. We just know they they exist under rocks. I could not name them, and yet they sometimes determine the scriptures I will read on Sunday morning. They do, and for whatever reason, they... Go from Luke 14, 1, and then they skip over verses 2 through 6 right to verse 17, which, of course, what do we want to do? 
Well, we want to look at what verses two through yeah. six the are. The power of that, right? To just take a big sharpie and be like, it, X. no, you will not <laughs> read this in worship. <laughs> so verses two through six, again, we're looking at Luke chapter 14. After it introduces Jesus, he's, uh, he's going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees. Okay, so this isn't just some ordinary Pharisee some ordinary elite, powerful, priestly type. This is the leader, the alpha yeah. of the Pharisees. And he's going there to eat a meal on the Sabbath. And it says in verse 1, I love this little phrase at the end, and they were watching him closely. And they were. Yeah, no doubt. And these folks... To be leaders of the Pharisees meant you had to be super knowledgeable on the law, and you were knowledgeable about the law, often to political ends or to achieve certain ends that you want to bring about. And there's there's power, in other words. There's a lot of power. They become leaders by knowing how to manipulate that knowledge. And Jesus was going as their invited guest. So he is in the house the leader of the Pharisees. In other words, he's playing an away game here. Mm. He is not necessarily on home turf. He's on their turf, on their terms, and they were watching him closely. And then they skip over verses 2 through 6, but verses 2 through 6, I think it's interesting, talks about a, how there was a man in front of Jesus who had dropsy, and, and Jesus then uses that as an occasion to ask the lawyers and Pharisees a question. Is it lawful to cure people on the Sabbath, or is it not? But they were silent. So Jesus took him and healed him and sent him away. I love how he doesn't even wait. They, they don't answer, and he's like, okay, whatever, I'm going to heal him. <laughs> I know I'm not, according to you, supposed to heal him on the Sabbath, but it's what you do, and he expands upon it a little bit. Then he said to them, if one of you has a child or an ox, I love how he went from child to ox. Yeah, possession. <laughs> that has fallen into a well, will you not immediately pull it out on the Sabbath day? So again, he's pushing the boundaries, and they could not reply to this. Then we get back to the scripture for the day. And this is why I have taken it upon me to call it parable brings in some social awkwardness a bit because then Jesus goes to the people who invited him to this dinner party in the first place, and he calls them out. Now, I don't know about you. I, maybe it's my southern-ness, but if I'm invited to somebody's house, I don't first and foremost just call them out for what I think they're doing wrong. No, this would be like um, criticizing the, um, in the South, this would be like criticizing the amount of mayonnaise in the deviled eggs, possibly. I mean, this is just, it's wrong. Or the fact that it wasn't Dukes, which would also be wrong. But, you know, so. That's, uh, that's a very <laughs> fair. <laughs> Worse analogy. than that. Worse than that, though, would be to criticize their hospitality. Could you do something worse in LaGrange, seriously, than to, 
go to somebody's house and then imply that their hospitality was lacking. I mean, that would be... Which is a huge point right there, right? Because, yeah, we in the South pride ourselves on our hospitality, but this was a hospitality culture. This culture in antiquity, hospitality was a big deal. You see all kinds of scriptures referring to the hospitality culture of the time. So for Jesus, first thing he does is ask him a challenging question, and then he tells him a parable that calls into question their etiquette. Motives. Their yeah. motives. It probably created some awkward tension in the air. And he tells this parable. When you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. Now, more than likely, people knew where they were to sit. And Jesus is basically saying, "Mm, not so fast, my friend. Yeah. Hmm. There's going to be somebody more honorable uh, there often, but don't jockey for it and try to be worried about your own self-importance, how people see you, which is, of course, what all of us worry about all the time on some level. And not it, not me, of course, but other people. You know, and, and it's interesting when you, you look at Jesus and the, his ministry was so profoundly public in the public sphere, in the temple, in places of, of worship, in courtyards, in gardens, on mountaintops and hillsides. But here he is in somebody's house. Here he is calling somebody out, a group of people out, in a very intimate space at a party to which he has been invited. And he's telling them, He's not just challenging how this individual or how these individuals have chosen to organize themselves. What he's actually challenging is the whole culture. The whole culture of you go here and you go here and you go here. The powerful go at the head of the table. The weak go at the the low end of the table. Jesus is trying to reverse that, and it literally strikes close to home. It is a revolutionary concept, uh, and, and this is part of the reason that Jesus is so often misunderstood and, uh, and rejected by people in the Gospels who encounter him, and I would say it's the, it's the same in our world today, often because there is an offensiveness to Jesus often when he points out something we should do differently or could do differently or a realization we ought to have that has not ever even really entered our minds. And so I often find that if you tell somebody they're doing something wrong that they didn't even know could be wrong, they don't respond great to that sometimes. And there's often a, why are you so uptight about this? Why are you this? Why are you that? And what I mean is to follow the custom of the culture and to give honor to your guest and to your most honored guest to have the best seat. Nobody would have thought they were doing anything wrong with that. And so here's Jesus critiquing 
I guess I'm just saying to the host, to the guests, this could feel unfair. Whether it feels unfair is ultimately irrelevant for us if we take seriously the teachings of Jesus, but it could feel unfair. And then, speaking of the host, he turns directly to him. In verse 12, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, he says, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they might invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of rightness. So, of the righteous. So so not only is Jesus telling the people, the gathered assembly of people in this party, where to sit, how to sit, how to organize themselves, he's also telling them who to invite. And it is a surprising guest list. Troubling guest list. It is not a guest list I would wager that the Pharisees looked too keenly upon breaking bread with. Nor many of us, you know. I mean, I I don't know. The last time I did a study of uh, my city and said, let me throw a barbecue at my house and let's go to the poorest of the poor of the poor in LaGrange, Georgia, and this is who I'm inviting, or let's... Let's take it to them, or let's—I mean, just—it's not something I do a lot of. Um, folks that can't give you anything material in return. So, uh, especially Jesus points out the phrasing is tough for us in Scripture sometimes. But New Revised Standard: crippled, lame, blind, mm-hmm. uh, people with physical uh, challenges, f- physical. Um, reasons why they would have been considered less than useless in terms of production in the society. Uh, and oftentimes there was not a social safety net in uh, Palestine, in the Roman world, other than your family. So somebody in that boat would be in a place of possibly being in the street, homeless, begging, asking for help. And these are the people to invite. Yeah. It so, reminds me, this this morning as of the recording of the show i did a funeral this morning for somebody Mm. in the community and one of the stories her family told me as we were getting ready for the service was one of the chief lessons that she instilled within her children she said this to her children If you're going to have a party, everyone better be invited. If you're going to have a party, everyone better be invited. And you better be prepared to feed everyone who attends. (laughs) Nice. Now, literally, that was in the service I did this morning. That is some Luke 14 kind of love right there. Seems very in keeping with this. It really does. And, you know, an indictment for me, I mean, maybe indictment's a little tough language, but a place, isn't it interesting? We use legal language in, in church ease sometimes. 
conviction, a place where I feel convicted. Well, the Pharisees were yeah. <laughs> legalistic. And they were very religious. All about yeah. that law. Very religious. Isn't it interesting, many of the religious gatherings I might find myself in, either as an invited guest preacher, where you're almost always going to get the seat of honor kind of thing, uh, or as a worshiper. Um, I'm going to be surrounded by folks who have the margin financially to be there. They're not at work at that moment on Sunday morning. Uh, they've got the the means to get the family there. They've got the time. They've got, you know, I guess I'm just saying it's easy for church sometimes to become a uh, affluent home of, of a certain social class of folks. Or also there are churches that draw only very impoverished communities into the church. Um, we don't cross over a whole lot. So I, I guess I'm just saying where... A good question for modern 21st century American people, Christians, to ask, I think, is where do I even cross over and know people? Do I actually know people like Jesus says to invite to the party? Mm, Maybe not. Of, what kind of dinner parties am I hosting? Yeah, and question. I'm just going to go ahead and say, James, our wives do this. They both work in circles of truth, and they know, which is a an anti-poverty nonprofit that brings together intentionally people from various walks of life in our community to help each other. And Holly and I were walking downtown here once, and there was a, a young man. Gosh, if I said his name, a number of people would know him. I don't want to do that. But the young man, clearly, he looked to be homeless or struggling. Um, he was sort of mumbling to himself on the sidewalk across the street as he went down. Holly saw him, knew him, knew his name, called his name. He immediately recognized her, called her name. Uh, we stopped and talked, caught up. He does live on the street. Uh, from time to time, will be homeless. And she knew him well through uh, his uh, presence with circles. And then my oldest son knew him through the um, the soup kitchen that LaGrange College students run at Broad Street Church Christ. And so two of my family members knew him well. His story, his name, is not me, <laughs> the clergy person. But, uh, you know, I, I work up on the hill, and Holly works a little more in the valley, uh, so to speak. And, and so, I don't know, it struck me as a very Jesus kind of thing, you know. Uh, not on my part, but on her part. Yeah, so it's possible. There are ministries out there that bring us together. How do you think Jesus would be received if he came into church and told us where so many of us have unofficial, official assigned seats, <laughs> get up and move around? Yeah, not only that, but could a truly poor person come to you? I don't, I don't mean your church, but let's just say your church, whoever you are out there. Could a truly poor person come to your church? Would that happen? Um, if not... I'm not trying to say this is your fault or you're somehow wrong or bad, but I guess I am saying what could we do to help that become more likely that all people might feel welcome and comfortable once they arrive? Uh, I can think of a church that I've been part of at one time, and uh, I smelled <laughs> cigarette smoke in the stairwell, uh, stale cigarette smoke. And I remember saying to Holly, I smell cigarettes. And I said to her, that's so great because that means somebody came in here smelling like cigarettes. And nobody from this congregation would do that. <laughs> and she said, yeah, no, I think that that person works here. I was like, oh, man. Yeah. Well, 
if you look at this scripture couched within the greater context of Luke, you know Luke pushes the boundaries. That's what Luke Acts does, literally pushing the boundaries on where the church is to go. And that's what the scripture is doing. And that's what the scripture is is calling us to do, is pushing us as hearers of this word. Jesus is pushing us, the attendees of this dinner party on the Sabbath. We Pharisees, yes, we who tend to be Pharisaic, pushing us on... On, on the guest list. Yes. And we clergy have the most to worry about. Please don't think if you're hearing this, I'm just being hard on churches or church people. No, clergy need to be the, I, it gives me pause every time that I line up for a worship processional. <laughs> and I'm the most dressed up person with all the uh, accoutrement, clergy regalia, and I come in last, you know, and I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, this is not good. I'm set up for the fall here. This is not, this does not feel Jesus-y. <laughs> so here we are, Luke chapter 14. These are just some of the ways into this scripture. There are undoubtedly other ways into yes, this scripture. But don't tame it, y'all. Don't tame it. I think that would be the my my advice to anybody wrestling this scripture or any of Jesus' teachings. Sit in the deep uh, awkwardness, and don't tame it. Don't make don't make up a reason why this is not what we think it might be. Hence the name of the parable, at least for me. <laughs> One awkward dinner. One awkward dinner. That's going to wrap <laughs> up this episode of Cats and Cheeses. And then and then, and, and then somebody probably stuck their fingers in the hummus, and then it was just easy. that's not cool. <laughs> it's not. On that note, Layton, you got anything you want to offer the people? Aunt Rhonda. She, she, Aunt Rhonda. She just said no. I loved my Aunt Rhonda. Yeah. I mean, I, she's not dead. I love her present tense. We are going. Hey, Aunt Rhonda. <laughs> we're going to call that an episode. Maybe this, next week we call Aunt Rhonda. This episode recorded in Lewis and Broad Studios in honor of Aunt Rhonda. Doesn't happen without Aunt Rhonda, a.k.a. Leighton Parker. Again, engage us on our social media at Lewis and Broad. Check us out at lewisandbroad.org and be on the lookout for season four of the actual Lewis and Broad podcast. Until next week, we'll see y'all next time. Thanks for joining us this week at Catechesis. Follow along on our social media and our websites at fpclagrange.org and lewisandbroad.org. Until next week.